Depending on your perspective, the game we're talking about today might be considered one of the greatest, one of the most overrated, or one of the most loathed of all time. For the first time in the franchise, a main entry was being released on a non-Nintendo console, a three-disc game that sought to use the stronger technology in the PS1 over the limitations found in an N64 cartridge. It was a runaway success, and not only did it make the PS1 a must-have system, it also created an entirely new generation of fans. Like it or not, one must admit that if nothing else, it is certainly one of the most iconic video games ever made, and on this episode, we get on the train to Midgar to celebrate its 20th anniversary. It is, of course, Final Fantasy VII next on downloadable content. Welcome to the Sector 7 slum that is downloadable content. I am Brian, and with me we have Ron. Hi. We have Gabe. Hello. And we have Ryan, one of the the, the, the Wallace boys. He'll be showing up later on in this episode. Um, he's currently um, driving from Massachusetts, so he'll show up later. He'll be here. We'll leave, we'll leave him just the tiniest uh, waste materia that nobody uses for him to use. So, But yes, we are going to be talking about Final Fantasy VII. It is its 20th anniversary this year. And as I was thinking about the planning for this episode, I was thinking, well, it's like we've, we already did a major five-episode uh recap of the entire franchise a couple of years ago and but you know the more i thought about it the more i was like but you know of all of the final fantasy games there are a few that are real real gems that i i feel deserve a much longer episode their own episode and seven is one of them so um it's it's one of my all-time favorite games. And before we get any further, just want to remind everyone out there on the wide world of the internet that every single episode of downloadable content can be found on our website at www.dlcpodcast.com. You can check out our bios. You can check out upcoming, uh, the upcoming recording schedule. You can send us feedback, give us ideas for episodes, questions, comments, feedback, all that fun stuff. And of course, every single episode also has links to iTunes, YouTube, Stitcher, and Google Play Music. So once again, it is www.dlcpodcast.com. 
Ah, alrighty, gentlemen. We will dive in, and as always, um, this is going to be a very spoiler-heavy episode. I mean, it's been 20 years. I think the statute of limitations on spoilers had long since expired on this game. But if you really, really have never played this game, and it's on your list of games to play, and you don't want to be spoiled, then I recommend you stop listening at this point, and then come back to us when you have finished the game. But if not... Just letting you know, there is a general spoiler alert for this episode, so on your own head be it, and you have been warned. So, gentlemen, I would like to open up the discussion on this game by asking, what was your... how did you get into this game? What was your... your, um... Your first experience with Final Fantasy VII, was it recent? Was it when it came out 20 years ago, somewhere in between? Oh my gosh. It was, for me, it was pretty close to, uh, you know, when it first came out, maybe like a year or two after. But, um, you know, like for me, I had already been into uh, RPGs from Breath of Fire and Breath of Fire 2, which I um, played with my uh played with one of my best friends back in the day and then you know i heard oh there's this this great big rpg that everyone loves all of a sudden and it's like well i guess i better get into that and so i don't know exactly when but that's how that started for me for me um I'm looking up the date when it got released in North America right now because it's related to when I first encountered Final Fantasy VII. So, um, I guess, I guess, um, so I was at Thanksgiving for my families, and uh, probably yeah, probably the November '97 um, Thanksgiving, and Presumably. my cousin probably. I, I, I mean, it says it came out January 1st, 1997, so... Um, went to my family's, and my cousins came over, and they had a PlayStation. And they were playing through Final Fantasy VII in the back room while they were waiting for the turkey to get done. And I had played Final Fantasy before, I had a Super Nintendo, so I knew what this, that the, the, the genre was, and the, the name Final Fantasy, but I'd never seen anything related to um, the Final Fantasy VII until then, and then saw them playing it, and I was like, oh, what's this? And then they explained it to me, and I'm like, oh, wait, this is 3D. What the hell? And, uh, like, that was my very first introdu- very, very first introduction to it, was watching them pull- going through uh, the train section in Midgar. Yep. Mm. Right, right at the beginning of the game, and yeah. for me, I did not play this game until probably a couple of years after it had come out. Um, this was my very first RPG. I had not played an RPG uh, except maybe Pokemon. I'm trying. Mm. I, I don't remember which Pokemon, which game I played first, whether it was Final Fantasy VII or Pokemon, <laughs> but. It's quite quite a uh, bar to start with, considering it's got just about everything an RPG can offer. Yeah, I mean, 
I mean, as a kid, my my stepfather was of the opinion that video games were evil. They make you fat, antisocial, lazy, um, you know, so on and so forth. So my only two of those things are true. <laughs> my my uh, he didn't tell me that they would make me nearsighted, but that's a whole different uh, that's a whole different story. But so I only had a, I had a strict time limit on how much I could play per day. Oh no! And so. I mean, I never really got into RPGs as a kid, and most of my, my circle of friends, I mean, we were all, you know, still farting around on Mario and Sonic and, you know, the occasional platformer. And so my stepbrother was playing a demo of this game that he, it was on a demo disc with a few other games that he had probably stolen from... Uh, like, official PlayStation magazine in the supermarket or something like that. You know, rip open the shrink wrap, up, take the disc, and away you go. To be fair, everyone... Yeah, that's people pretty did that. <laughs> To be fair, most people did that. It'd be a surprise to find a shrink wrap one that's all the, the, the CD demo on it. So, I saw him play this. Now, I was... I was a little bit interested because I had seen him play um, a very, very criminally underrated RPG. I'd watched him play it through the entire thing, The Legend of Dragoon. Uh huh. And, well, I would put that at around 2000. So, yeah, I mean, this was right around the time that I, 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 I watched him play it. And,. I was I was interested to see that that sort of style of storytelling. I'd never seen anything like it before, and so he played through the demo of Final Fantasy VII. I mean, yeah, and it was you know the the demo was the the beginning of the game. So right up until the the first reactor, or right after uh, that, yeah, yeah, and I was kind of hooked. I had never seen this sort of gameplay before. This, I mean. Yeah, the Legend of Dragoon. I may be getting my memory. My, my memory might be fuzzy there, but seeing just the the plot and the questions that were being posed right at the start of the game, like why is this happening? And something else that had interested me was the fact that in every other video game I had played, they all start off with this sort of calm, everything's happy, and then the conflict happens, and oh, then yeah. you're off to save the day. This was the first game I had ever seen in which you start in the middle of what the fuck. You're in... You, the game starts, you are taking part in what you what is told to you as a terrorist plot. Yeah, you wouldn't see that nowadays. <laughs> so, Except maybe in the remake. So, I'm just like, whoa, you're, there, there's, you're not starting off with, with, you know, blue skies and happy, you know, and then the evil comes in. You're like, no, you're, you're right in the action. You know, Cloud gets off the train and battle right there. I'm like, whoa, this is new. And, you know, he played the demo and he got through it and he was kind of like, eh. And even to this day, he's still not really a big RPG player. But uh, some friends of mine were talking about it and um, 
I, you know, would uh, to, to get around my stepfather's, you know, arbitrary one hour per day limit, I would sneak off to friends' houses. <laughs> and eventually I just said fuck it and borrowed the game and would play it for like the few hours before he got home from work. And, you know, that was basically my introduction to it. And even even now, you know, I, I fully admit to having full-blown nostalgia goggles for this game. And in preparation for this episode, I, for the, for the only the second time ever, went through it from beginning to end. Just so I could remember what the hell happened. To be fair, a lot of things did happen in the game. Not necessarily... Yeah. What doesn't happen? <laughs> I mean, the first time I played it, you know, being so new to RPGs, I was not really familiar with the, all the different RPG tropes. Like, no one t tells you, you know, uh, don't run from random battles. <laughs> because... I mean... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can run from them. It's just, well, you need to be able to beat the things that are harder at a, up in front. Like, I wound up being so criminally underleveled facing Sephiroth for the final time. <laughs> like, oh! Oh, boy! <laughs> Whoopsies. Yeah, so... I never had that issue. Yeah, neither did I. Then again, I had the, the strategy guide, so I spent five hours being the goddamn Knights of the Round Materia. Yeah, even even over the last couple of months, I I, re I saw how much work was involved to get that, and I'm like, you know, I think just getting the level four limit breaks will suffice. I, I'm, I think I'm good with that. You know, I've seen the Knights of the Round animation, yeah. and it's cool, and you could turn Sephiroth and anything else into paste. Except for the weapons, like the things that are actually supposed to kill Sephiroth, that he oh, yeah. mag magically evades because bullshit. Uh huh. Yeah, I, I do call bullshit on that, but you know, you start the game, and, and and might as well just dive right in. You know, you start the game. You're you're you know on this. Now, keeping in mind that, do you remember the commercials for this game? Yeah. It, it was. Like it was pretty much like just the intro trailer with a couple of like badass summon cutscenes. That was it. Yeah, but it felt kind of like a movie trailer the way they spliced it all together. Yeah, now that you mention it, I think I have seen that. I didn't like ever see it back in the day, though. I mean, they, they, they. I, I will give Square Enix this. They, they do a damn good job with their TV commercials for like all their games like yeah I don't, I don't know if you guys watch tv recently but there's commercials for final fantasy 15 and they make the game look pretty darn decent and then you've played it 
<laughs> Actually, I, I played it. We have an episode on that. You can hear our opinions about that on that episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, like, uh, anyway, to divide by two and, and get the leftovers. Yeah. So, you know, you, you find that out, you, you know, Final Fantasy XV a couple episodes ago. But no, you start the game, you're immediately thrust into battle. You, you don't even know this character's name. All you see is this spiky blonde-haired guy in a purple jumpsuit. Don't forget the fact that he's got a sword the size of him. Yeah, that was, you know, right off the bat. I'm like, and, you know, watching the victory pose, even at age 13, 14, I'm like, how are you doing that? I mean, I know video game logic, but, you know, it's like, how the hell are you doing that? I'll, I'll say the, the correct answer is video game logic. The actual answer, I guess, would be, like, centrifugal force twirling around your wrist as you, like, use your fingers to, to whip the blade around. But then you're talking about having someone with the dexterity and the, the, the fortitude to hold probably a hundred-pound sword in between their fingers. Or the sword is made of titanium. That's like assuming it was made of titanium. Yeah, that's, you know... It, 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 I, I mean, the people have done actual mock-ups of the actual buster sword. The thing weighs like 150 pounds when you make it out of iron. <laughs> So it, it would probably weigh about 100 pounds with titanium. Oh, you know. Oh, Japan. It's a backbuster sword. It, it, yeah. Back. It's not just the backbusting. This thing is not a practical weapon. <laughs> like, it, you are literally... No one accused the game of being practical. I, I, I know, but I just, like... You're wielding literally a gigantic block of iron, and you're not even slashing people with it. You're bashing over the head with a 150-pound block of iron so you know you get you get here you get you get through you're going through this this reactor unit and you know you're introduced to other characters you find this guy who you swear is mr t (laughs) to be fair he probably was meant to be some sort of analog and also this is okay brian i'm gonna need you to correct me on this Please, please correct me on this if I'm wrong. Is this the first black man in a Final Fantasy game? I am. I'm gonna have to do some some digging on that, but it it might. It very well might. I will have to do some digging on because that. Um, because for all the like Moogles and Sasquatches and Lunarians and like. Everything else that you've had as a party member, they've all been either a monster or white. Certainly main character. Um, just a quick Google search says that in Final Fantasy IV, the after years, there's a character named Luca, but that came out later. And then in Final Fantasy VI, there's Leo Kristoff, but he's not a main character. I say Leo's tan. I don't think he's black. I, like I said, I just searched on the internet and this <laughs> Google, like, yeah. And after years I, came I, after I, I'm by no means like, oh hey, here's this. I'm just saying what the internet says. Yeah. Okay. Uh, he is, and uh, actually, he is. He is the first dark-skinned playable character in the Final Fantasy series. Oh yeah. Okay. So, so yeah. Here, so here, here's here's Barrett, who is a very muscular. Black man, okay, that's fine. Only he's missing his left arm, right? Right. His right, right arm. arm. Right arm from the elbow down, 
And instead of it being a prosthesis, he's attached a machine gun to it. With infinite bullets. And he is the leader of a terrorist group. And he swears... Every With a part of gold. <laughs> Sorry, what? My apologies. <laughs> he swears with every other word. So, oh yeah, yeah. He and Sid can can go in a competition for that. So, so yeah, know. that was, that was sort of new for me too. Like when I first picked that up, seeing characters that were just like, "What the fuck is going on?" You know, like okay, they bleep out, they bleep out some, some right, more but even still, ones. you know what they're saying. Oh yeah, you, you, and you like it's not like saying. I had played a game before that, or at least a story-driven game with any cursing or implied cursing um, that I know of. Yeah, I mean, you knew you knew they were cursing, but it was just funny seeing it on screen. You're going, you know, what the punctuation marks? Yeah. Yeah. And, but, yeah. But you guys blow up the reactor with some minor complications. Oh yeah, you get some enemies, and you get the first instance that the first very quick little uh, bit of information that the game gives you that something's not quite right with Cloud's head. Like, he, he sort of blanks out for a couple of seconds, and it's like, hmm, alright, you know, just shrugs it off. The reactor blows up, and... You know, now you're just like, all right. You get you 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 find yourself back in in a bar where you're introduced to another main character in the. Tits. I mean, Tifa. <laughs> you know, to a 14 year old boy who is very hormonally crazed. You know, I was gonna say, I was gonna say, I, I imagine most people with their first introduction to Tifa had to use the washroom shortly afterwards. Like. Even, even pixelated and blocky as all the characters are in Final Fantasy VII, it's like, whoa, ho, 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 hello. And I mean, thankfully, when you see like actual, okay, actual art to her, it's still pretty busty, but it's not as like her. It's not like half her torso. It, is all boob like it is in the game. Uh, yeah. I mean, luckily we have the official game art to, to, you know, actually proper portrayal of Tifa, but like, like, hi, how you doing? <laughs> I mean, and you see her in the cutscenes too, you know, it's like, um, she's got, you know, a little bit better proportioned, you know, a little than they were able to do during the blocky, like, main uh, character movement. Like, all right. Tight white, tight white short shirt and short black shorts. And it's like, all right. And she's going to be with you for the entire game. And she is not wielding a weapon. She has her bare fists. And... You, you, like, like, yeah, here's, here's your first party makeup. Full party makeup. A spiky blonde-haired guy with a sword as big as him, black man with a machine gun for an arm, and a big busty lady with the beast people over the head with her boobs. I mean, her fists. Her fists, Ron. Yes, yeah. Clarify that. Um. And you find out why you know what 
Barrett's motives are. That, you know, Cloud is just really a gun for hire, and you know, it's a very simple sort of idea that you know you have this group named Avalanche, and they're trying to to save the planet because you, this this evil uh, electric company named Shinra is sucking something called Mako out of the Earth. Because, no, that isn't a metaphor for fossil fuel at all. <laughs> I mean, I mean perish to be fair, it ends up being it's not, but... No, but, I mean, at this point, right, you know, at, this, at the start of the game, that's, that's, that's the easy comparison. Yes. And so, you know, Baird's like, oh, we're gonna blow up another reactor! And he's just so, everything's gung-ho, and every other w word out of him is a curse, and... Of course, you have you know the 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 lackeys Biggs and Wedge, and Jesse. And Jesse, yes. <laughs> Cannot forget Jesse. Rest in peace. Ah, uh, yes. She's not dead yet. <laughs> no, but she'll be stone dead in a moment. Yeah. You also had the first introduction to a flashback with Tifa and Cloud and how they know each other, and oh, they grew up in the same town. Well, that's it's their childhood friends. And so Cloud decides he's going to continue with Avalanche, and they go to try to blow up another reactor. Reactor one they got to blow up? Seven? No, they blew up seven they, at the start. Eight. They're right. They blew up eight. eight. Okay. They're going, they're going to... Uh, they're going to eight. So, which was maybe their problem. They're a little obvious going just one after the other. Had they well, had they gone for maybe like reactor four, Shinra would have been waiting at eight. Like, gee, no, I thought I, that would have been a bit I'm, more predictable. I'm completely wrong. It's uh, sector. It's they're going out to the sector five reactor. Ah, okay. okay well, never mind. Scratch that. Scratch that. Yeah, all right. <laughs> I thought it was eight, but now I'm looking at the at the uh, the synopsis again. Like, no, it's it's five. So we you get through all that, and it's like, all right, second verse, same as the first. And, and then things go sideways. Things go a little bit sideways. You're introduced to President Shinra because we're we're not original here, and you know he's this fat old man. With like a comb over and yellow hair in a red suit, and he, uh, and he named his company after himself. Did this was this game telling the future? <laughs> I, I I don't know. I just like like I I don't know. But the dude shows up like the very first time we see him, he shows up flying a helicopter, taunts the heroes. And then flies off right before throwing a biological weapon at them. I'm sorry, not a biological weapon. A biomechanical weapon that his company produced. Yep. Which is yeah. your your first actual boss of the game, which, you know, at this point, it can be a bit of a challenge if you don't... Yeah, because at, at that point, you just have one materia, right? You have both. So you, um, you, can, you can have access to the shop, which gets you fire and cure. Yes, but Bolt is the elemental weakness for this particular boss. Yeah. If you have Bolt, it makes this battle a lot easier. Also, the fact that if you eventually realize, oh, look, 
he turns around every time I hit him. And whenever I hit him in the back, it does like three times the damage. Uh, yeah. Maybe I can use this to my advantage. <laughs> hmm. And and that leads us then that you know that leads us to another thing the way you learned abilities in this game now we've talked about other Final Fantasy games at length that how you learn abilities whether it's through just straight leveling up or the job class system but Final Fantasy VII used the Materia system which admittedly is a pretty nifty idea because it allows for a lot of different customization. There's a ton of possibilities at how you want to build up your characters. And like, the material system was fine, but it was also built on the back of the Magicite system from 6. It was. That's a pretty, that's a very good point. I mean, it's a, it's a further extension of that. But it's like, I, I like how with the materia system, you could have multiple characters with the same materia. So you could give all three of your your party bolts or cure or fire or any other materia. Yeah, so characters weren't pigeonholed into their like stereotypical role class or anything like that. Um, and I liked that, you know, I both liked and disliked, but more so I liked that you were able to level up a whole bunch of magic and then give it to someone who wasn't maybe as as strong or as good as the other character, you know, because you hadn't used that person as much or they were lower level or whatever. And you'd bring them right back up to your your point. Right. So you could just customize <coughs> and me. really play with anyone and the only big difference would be you know, which weapon they had so they would have as many slots for materia and which uh, which final limits they had, things like that. Right, and so, I mean, I thought definitely at the early going that, you know, it was good for everybody to have a cure materia because you, never, you didn't want, I mean... I did not everyone want... gets band-aids now. Yeah. Everyone heals everyone. This is this is universal healthcare, people. Yep, I mean, come on. If freaking Midgar can do this. <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, I also liked the fact that once you mastered a materia, they gave you another one for free. Which, even, even though it's an absolute nightmare to master Knights of the Round... I'd rather be rewarded with another Knights of the Round materia than just be like, oh, well, I guess I mastered that. I'm done here. You know? Yeah, so. go through osmosis and yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, between that and junctioning, there were... The uh, materia system ended up being really complex and fun once you got the hang of it. I mean, I, I was able to develop a strategy to just eliminate, annihilate the emerald weapon, which is the second hardest boss in the game. It's one of the two optional bosses, you know, um, in like one turn. So Yeah, and you know what else was my friend in that game? Uh, the All Materia. Yeah. Almost everyone would be like, oh look, I'm gonna buy like cure and like I'm gonna have be able to heal my party all at once and be fantastic when you make the same only targets one at a time this sucks what do you mean it has to buy all material to things and what do you mean it only works like two or three times before it has to get recharged in and in or a save point or whatever this is dumb but then you look at it like oh 
this thing goes to mat attack magic as well. Yeah. And then you, it's just like, and it's like, okay, so I guess it means every time I see an Almateria, or I think it's like, is it like the when you get to the the, the market that you can buy Almateria? Yeah. Um, after meeting Eris slash Arith, whatever the. Yep. I mean, and also there are some spots in the game where you can find it. Like yeah. treasure chests and whatnot, but yeah. But generally speaking, I think most people, if they knew what they were doing, would get to the the market and then proceed to spend all their money on all the all materials. Yeah, and just be like, okay, I'm going to have like seven of you, and they're all going to be leveling up for however long this game lasts. And with any luck, you probably bought off into like ten copies of yourselves within four or five hours. And not because uh, when you get when you got to mastering the all materia, it meant that you had five uses of that with whatever materia you paired it with. So by the time I reached the end of the game, I had you know everyone you know cure mastered and all mastered. So it was like, oh, you could do cure three on everybody fifteen times, and yeah. and cure two. 15 times, and, you know, because it... Yeah. It, cause it, yeah, it's only for that spell, not for the all once. Yeah. Yeah. So... But, yeah, it, 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 I mean, it was strong, but it was just, like, getting there was the, the tough part more than anything else. Yeah, I mean, you had to put in the effort to level these up, because some of the later materia, the stronger magic ones, uh, like Ultima and Comet... Once you got those, and then you stick a, like, fully leveled up all next to it. Oh, boy. Yeah. You just, yeah. you would lay waste to anything on the board. Yep. But we're getting a little higher ourselves, we, too, so. We are, yes. I mean, but it's just, I, I really liked how the materia system really allowed you to do a Oops. lot of. A, Sorry. A lot of customization because it, you know, when I went back after playing Final Fantasy seven, VII, eight, and nine, and went back and played the the older ones, the classic ones, you know, realizing how the materia system really opened up and you know made it so, as Gabe said, it didn't pigeonhole your party into specific roles. Like, no, oh, that was your, that's your fighter, that's your mage. It's like, no, anybody can be anybody. So. Yeah, um, for my money, the best two materials to get and to master were uh, counter and mime. Not counter attack, mind you. Counter um, as its own support materia um, linked with mime. Because then whatever, um, whenever you were hit, you would react by copying whatever was last used against your opponent and if you granted it takes forever to to master those and duplicate them and whatever else but if you're patient enough like i was back when i was young and had oodles of free time that i don't know where they all went or where all my time went but um you can respond to any attack by um, by countering with whatever was used last, like 
three times, four times, however many times you had the patience to master that that materia. So I just brutalized people with the counter mime thing. Um, uh, one thing I wanted to reference back to um, when we were talking about Barrett, I sort of got uh, I got distracted and didn't get to mention this, but on the Wikipedia entry for Barrett, it says initially there were only going to be three playable characters, Barrett, Aerith, and Cloud, and it was decided that one of them should die, but they decided not to have Barrett be the one who died because it would be, quote, too obvious. So, Well, yeah, it's like, good on you? (laughs) So, I'm I'm glad they they didn't, because yes, it would have been blatantly obvious. Yeah, I guess props to them for being aware enough of the trope, even in 1997, or... You know, prior to that, when they were developing it, <laughs> you know, and even the fact that they were developing it in a game, because like back in the day, not all of them, but a lot of a lot of video game development seemed to be a little, I don't want to say lazy, but I guess lazy because they could get away with tropes that were totally played out in movies or or shows, you know, more so. Yeah. I, I, I don't have any examples, but anyone who's played a lot of games back in the day can probably know what I'm talking about. But props to them for being like, okay, no, we're not going to kill the black character like in all the movies that, you know, in the past, in the 80s and stuff like that. Yes. Good for Square for not using that bit of racism. Uh Yeah. Yeah. And uh, while simultaneously making like, a straight up Mr. T gun token <laughs> uh, curse word analog, but um, I I did just remember a little more of how I got into Final Fantasy VII. Not to do too much of a retread on the first twenty minutes, but um, as I mentioned, I was super into Breath of Fire back in the day, and so being a youngster. I would read, you know, fan fictions, not like the scandalous ones. Um, oh, but, not, you know. not like the ones I read. Yeah, well, <laughs> probably not. But um, who knows? Anyway, one of one of the stories that I read was my fellow Dragnerians, and it was following the main characters of uh, Breath of Fire Three, which came out roughly the same time as. Um, as Final Fantasy VII, in which I played before VII. Um, but I just remember the characters going on and on, and every now and then people would make a reference to Final Fantasy VII, and they would always just shout it down, or, you know, the characters in the story would be like, oh, Final Fantasy VII sucks. And so, like, for the longest time, I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm Team Breath of Fire, which is great, I love Breath of Fire, but eventually I was like, you know... I guess in the sequel to that story, like some of the Final Fantasy characters showed up and I was like, oh, you know, these characters are being portrayed like they're okay after all. And, you know, me being 12 or whatever the hell I was by that point, 99, I guess, is probably when I was reading that or 2000, um, saying like, okay, well, maybe I'll check out Final Fantasy VII after all. And um, 
I mean, Final Fantasy RPGs in general, but Final Fantasy especially was very formative to me in my in the beginning of my um, teenage years, and a big part of that was with a particular fan fiction um, written by one of my good friends these days. I mean, I don't have a whole lot of contact with him anymore because um, he's his life. You know, you grow up and life happens, I guess. But back in the day, he wrote a a literally hundred chapter story called Bugging Sephiroth. And I just I thought you guys would get a kick out of the um, <clears throat> out of the opening lines and the synopsis of it, because and just speaking from my own relation to Final Fantasy seven, this story, which was set in a time after Final Fantasy VII's events, where all the characters are alive and they're just sort of like screwing around and they don't know, you know, they are all cool with each other, even though, you know, someone killed someone and so on and so forth. The opening lines, it, it's narrated by Sephiroth and he's stuck in his house living with Genova, who's just batshit crazy. And... <clears throat> The opening lines of this story are, I just realized something. I'm 30 years old, I'm single, and I still live with my mother. And it it's just goes on and on, and it's a story from the perspective of Sephiroth in this sort of absurd post-game world where everyone is just doesn't know what to do with themselves. And that sort of encapsulated my life at the time, and was was big for me back then he, he's such a good he's such a good boy such a good jewish boy uh, <laughs> he loves his mother uh all right well good moving right along go you know right after that first boss you know you have you, you think that you know this is the end of Cloud, because, oh, the thing, the bridge breaks, you see Cloud, you know, it's hanging on. He for... falls 500 feet. No one can survive a fall from that height. Yeah. What are you talking about? You know, this isn't video game physics. You know, when I was 13, 14, seeing this for the first time, uh, the idea of gravity and physics and realism had not quite yet infiltrated my head. Going through this the second time oh, a couple man, months yeah. ago, I'm, I'm going through this, I'm like, wait a minute. He falls, he crashes through a church roof, and lands in Eris's flower bed. Yeah. Now, now I, I, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think flowers are necessarily going to break a fall of several hundred feet. I, I mean, in theory, physics speaking, if the roof of the church was particularly spongy... And was like rotten away. Most of the impact would have, the energy of the impact would have probably been expended when he broke through the roof. At that point, it would only be like a fifty foot drop from <laughs> a, the a roof minor to drop. the ground. Yeah, <laughs> but but still, I'm just like, oh, he crashes in the flowers, and here you have this girl, which you saw at the very beginning of the game in the opening yeah. cutscene. You could buy flowers from her too <coughs> after you blow up Reactor 7. Yes. For one kill. For 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 the very 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 cheap price of a single gill. One gill. A penny. You yeah. can buy a flower for a penny. And 
which has some bearing on some of the uh, a little bit of the dialogue, but but not much else. But I laughed my ass off when you have the when the Turks come into the church, and you know the music changes. Is that do do do? And yeah. <laughs> And that, and you know, this is why Wamatsu is so fucking good. Um, they come in, and you know, you find out that Shinra has been chasing this this flower girl for a long time. And we don't know how long until Crisis Core, but for a long time, for, for a long time. And you know, they give chase. But one of them actually goes out of their way to to ridicule the others when they walk through the flowers. Like, yeah, don't step on the flowers. Like, and then five seconds later, he walks through them himself. Yeah, walks through them himself. Oh, yeah. And, and and in pure anime fashion, like, womp womp. You know. And the lackeys are like, "Wait, didn't you just tell us how to do that exact same thing? You piece of garbage." <laughs> All right. You know, so you, okay, so you do some chase, and you're like, all right. You eventually wind up, you know, seeing Aerith's mother, and you know, sneaky little, sneaky little character here. You know, mother says, you know, suggests that Cloud be on his merry way because, you know, Aerith. We don't know why she's so special, but the game is very hintly, very, very much hinting that she's important. You don't know why yet. But she's important. <laughs> so Cloud's like, all right, fine, I'll make my way back to, uh, you know, back to Sector 7. But Aerith tags along with him, and you see there's this scene at a playground where there's this, there's this coach driven by a couple of chocobos, and lo and behold, there's Tifa on it. Now... Um. Yeah, I'm like, oh, wait a minute. Apparently, you know, Avalanche is carrying on without Cloud. Well, I mean, they're a terrorist organization. They probably go through MOOCs every other hour. Reactor, yeah. <laughs> True. Although, um, uh, when I played, I always got the impression that she was being kidnapped or, like, she was held hostage. Well, that's what you're supposed to think right at the yeah. start, right when you see that. It's like, huh? Why is she riding on a coach that's being driven by these big-ass birds? Which, again, I had first Final Fantasy game. I'm just like, well, uh, I'm looking at the game, and I'm like, those aren't horses. What are, th what are those things? Yeah. Well, this, is, this is where real life and video games chain, uh, depart, because... In real life, we would have eaten the hell out of those birds already. Oh, that's oh, so so delicious, and and good for you too. And so now you go to, uh, you make your way toward uh, the Playboy Mansion. <laughs> Don Cornero's place. Yeah, thing is... Honey Bee Manor. Yeah, Honey Bee Manor, where you have right to behind Walmart. <laughs> behind Walmart. <laughs> Which is hilarious in itself, but, you know, there's an optional scene, which I forgot about, in Honey Bee Manor, which uh, Cloud can get himself some, some items. And, you know, 
But in order to... Now... Cloud, in order to get into... You find out that you have to get, get see Don Corneo to rescue Tifa, but Don Corneo is looking for a wife because he's just the horniest bastard in all of Midgar. And he'll only meet women right now. Only meet women, and so... And Cloud is just feminine enough to pass with a dress and a wig. Yep. You get through, and I, lo I, I love the interrogation scene. Because you have all three of them, they get into... Oh, yeah. You get into Don Corneo's room, and they're threatening, like, if you don't tell us, we'll cut it off. Yeah. Yeah, there's the, there's the oh, beat, and then they do, they do threatening, threatening sexist, threatening sexist intimidation technique number five. Yeah, they, 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 they don't actually outright say what they're going to cut off, but you know what, you know what they're, what they're implying. And each, I, I do like that each one has their own style that they're going to do to mutilate him. Like, Tifa was going to crush them, I think. Um, Cloud was going to cut them off, and I can't remember what Eris was going to do. But, Tie yeah. Them up, I, I, I think. I, I don't remember, but something very, very unpleasant. But, lo and behold, it's a trap! <laughs> Cue the literal trap floor and, and drop through into the sewers. Uh huh. Yeah, it's like you all—it's like right out of Scooby Doo almost. It's <laughs> and there's a boss in there because of course because of course Corneo has this pet monster just hiding. Yeah, he's, he's yeah. got a pet alligator. Only it's like standing on its legs and can control the water. But, um... Here we go. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Brian. Um, Cloud will chop them off. Eris will rip them off. And Tifa will smash them. <laughs> good, good. But, you know, just when you think you finally have the drop, and as you said, you know, wah, 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 trap door, there's a boss, you fight them. And all of this has been serving nothing more than to be a distraction, because when everybody gets back to Sector 7, it is under attack! Because Shinra has decided, oh, we know where Avalanche is. Alright, let's drop an entire goddamn city quarter on them. Literally. They're literally going to, because Midgar is divided into an upper plate and a lower plate. The upper plate is where all the well-to-do are, and the lower plate is where all, where, you know, the poor and the slums are. So Shinra decides that enough people are expendable that they're going to drop one-eighth of the city on them. <laughs> like, well, technically, technically they'll drop, they'll drop one-sixteenth and crush one-eighth. Yes. Because the people on top would probably die from the resultant. So. Hundred foot drop. So Shinra. So that's I think the first real point in the game where you where you start figuring out just how nasty this company is. Yeah. Like up until this point, you're just like, okay, you know, big corporation, you know, sticking it to the people. All right, fine. But then you're like. We know where this terrorist organization is. We're going to drop an entire section of city 
just as punishment. When did we suddenly get to Shadowrun in Final Fantasy? What the hell, man? Mega corporations and lack of government? What is this? What is, what is this? 2017? Shh! They don't know that. Are you sure? <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> so, you know, despite the party's best efforts, uh, you know, it's a, it's a result in failure, you know, the... The president shows up, does some taunting. No. It wasn't the president, or was it the, one of the Turks? The, the Turks show up, um, grabs Eris, although yes, she did say good. that she she was safe, she being Marlene, which is Barrett's adopted daughter. daughter. Yeah. And um, and so you're left with Barrett, Tifa, and Cloud as you, as you Indiana Jones your way out of Sector 7 as a class around you. Yep. Barrett is understandably pissed and just starts firing off his infinite bullets. But they they cloud the part the cloud especially feels that they need to inform Aerith's mother of what has happened. I thought it was also Tifa said I think we should go talk go talk to Aerith's mom and then Cloud goes, "Wait, Right, she has a mom. Does uh, that mean she saved Marlene, and Marlene's now at the mom's house? Question mark is. I mean, like, you have of... to remember, Cloud did just fall two hundred feet. He probably has some head trauma. I mean, he's got head trauma to begin with. We just right. don't know how long. <laughs> he's probably got more head trauma. At this point in time, I think it'd be safe to say that intelligence is Cloud's dump stat. Very good. Very good. I never thought of it like that. Yeah, no one ever accused Cloud of knowing what the hell was happening. That's that's <laughs> he's, he's, there's not a whole lot happening up here. So we get to uh we get to Marlene uh not Marlene, we get to Eris mother's house. Is Eris is Eris's adopted mother Elmira or is that her real mother? That is Elmira is the Elmira's the adopted adoptive mother. Right. The, and Ifauna is her real mother. Actual mother. mother. Yeah, this, that's yeah. this too. Yeah, just just so that we don't have to keep saying Eris's mother, Eris's mother, Elmira. Yeah, Elmira and not the character from Tiny Toon Adventures who kills animals for pleasure. If you or can. maybe she grew up. You don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe. So yes, go to Elmira, where we get, we we get a block of exposition regarding Aerith, and we find out why she's so special. Apparently, she's the last of the ancients. Ooh. Ooh. Mystical race that you know you only get a small little bit about that they're looking for the promised land and and things like they that. talk to the planet like very druidy like bullshit going on here yes so although although with the i i will say this um with the eventual reveal that oh look final fantasy 10 and final fantasy 7 actually occur on the same pl same planet only thousands and thousands of years apart eh does that mean Eris is somehow related to Yuna? Was that that was confirmed or something? I, I, I don't. I mean, there's there's definitely enough nods to it. I don't know if it's confirmed, but it's like a nice 
like fan theory, not just because of Shinra, a person being named Shinra, being in Ten Two, but also the fact that like apparently there's a very powerful energy source in the center of the planet's core that he thinks he could use. There's this like mystical energy source that is literally people's souls that live underneath the crust of the planet that you can have access to. Like, I, my personal opinion is that they are the same planet, that there's just like about 50,000 years of evolutionary drift between the two. That and a commentary impact too, but that's besides the point. Mm. Uh, to me, it's more like, well, you know, they were written by a lot of the same people. And, you know, they took two different sort of spins on, you know, the big epic story. And yeah. there are certain things that will overlap. I mean, in, if you want to talk like narrative similarities or coincidences or whatever, and not to keep going back to Breath of Fire, but Breath of Fire 4 came out shortly before 10, I believe, and has a ton of the same, like, plot twists in it so i mean it's it's just certain aspects of um of rpgs especially rpg storing storytelling at the time just seemed to have a lot of overlap yeah but you know in in terms of at some point i do want to talk about one of my gripes for um for final fantasy 7 which is just the narrative convenience of a lot of it, but... Oh, yeah. The narrative convenience is only for the fact that it's a video game, and, oh, look, you happen to come across, like, these specific scenarios that in no way, shape, or form are ever going to matter to the story unless X, Y, and Z happens, and X, Y, and Z always happens. Right, but I mean, like, Avalanche hires the Sephiroth clone who has just met the Cetra who happens to fall into the Cetra's church you know right before she is threatened by you know the turks who are the the henchmen of the big corporation which is being which is exploiting the planet which is fueling sephiroth it's it's like hey, hey, hey. something needs alert. to move the story along if people won't get there themselves right i mean i i get that i it's my complaint and also a compliment to the fact that it keeps the story moving. Like, there's no BS for the first, you know, good amount of, of gameplay. You're going from one thing to the next, and then you look back and it's all connected. But, you know, it's a lot harder now than it was when I was first playing it as a teenager to not look at it and be like, man, that's convenient. Oh, that's also convenient. Oh, and she just happened to be here, you know. Oh, and and Avalanche is also run by um by Cloud's old, you know, town girlfriend sort of person. And I mean, maybe that's why Avalanche reached out to Cloud, or maybe it's all convenience. I don't know. You know, it's really just a game. You should really just relax. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, like I said, most of the time I do, but just when I stop and I think about it at any great length, like one might do when one is on a podcast, I say, man, that was that was really sort of sloppy at times. 
And, 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 you know, I think that now, having just gone through it for the first time in almost 20 years, which, you know, is, is all well and good, but, you know, again, we were probably playing this, you know, 12, 13, 14 for the first time, and you don't, you're not thinking about narrative structure. At least most of us aren't. April will probably be like I was. But, uh, <laughs> but, you know, I'm, I was just along, you're just along for the ride, because, yeah, this first part of the game in Midgar, it's just like, bam, 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 we're just moving. Things are flying, things are happening, shit's hitting the fan, and speaking of shit, uh, our party goes to Shinra HQ. <laughs> yeah, for, for climbing up the wall of garbage oh. in Wall Market. Yes. Yes, they climb up. They climb up the wire. You have some very appropriate, you know, brave-sounding music that's going on, playing underneath all of this. And you know, you reach the top, and you just see it's this quick little cutscene where you just look at the Shinra building in all of its majesty. Because you know the way it, it looks and the way it's lit, and it it, it doesn't scream evil at all. And you're faced with a choice, and I remember this because now because I've seen I've played both options. Uh, your Barrett wants to go in guns a blazing, because of course he does. And Tifa's like, no, we should actually take the stairs, <laughs> and it's on you as to you know what you decide you want to do, and both of them have their advantages and disadvantages. I don't know, going on the blazing and literally the entire goddamn paramilitary corporation on our asses right away, or sneak in through the stairs. Hmm. What do you think we should do, Barrett? Really? You think we should go and kill everyone? Wow, that's not racist at all. <laughs> no, we're going to we're going to take the smart option here and take the stairs. Q. Literally five minutes of walking upstairs animation. Yeah, yeah, that and that's the thing. You know, you 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 post you get up to the sixty sixth floor, and now you know I did not count if they actually did program sixty six flights of stairs. Um, it's, it's pretty crazy. darn near close. They they, it, they assuming a, assuming a flight of stairs is a floor. You go up about 50 flights of stairs. Oh, it, and, you know, you do that, and it's just like, oh, my God. And, you know, at the same time, though, if you if you decide to go in guns a-blazing, all that EXP. <laughs> yeah, like... I, it's like, it's pick your poison. Personally, Brian, I went in with a little bit of tat because, like, huh, paramilitary organization on... Paramil I'm sorry, paramilitary forces on my ass right at the start and I fight through 65 floors of bad guys or I get to bypass all of it and start getting to the actual like action <laughs> action stuff yeah I, I will I will bypass all that bullshit yeah I mean and that's ultimately what, what I've done I mean, I, again I've done both and you know if you want to go if you want to move the story along yeah I mean you take the stairs instead of just onslaught after wave after wave after wave after wave so and the funny dialogue that happens as you're going up the stairs between Tifa and Barrett is just... And Cloud, because the entire time Cloud is being stoic asshole, nothing bothers me, whereas Tifa and Barrett are literally dying and having heart attacks on your stairs right next to you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Barrett's dying over here, and it's just... 
You, but eventually you do make it. You get all the way up. And you find out... I think you actually get off on the 60th floor to start. Because you find there's, there's, like, there's a puzzle, I think, in which you have to find different pieces of this scale model of Midgar. And you find... Mayor Domino, who is the actual mayor of Midgar, but he's nothing more than a figurehead. You, you, you do actually find out that it, it is really Shinra who controls everything. There is no real government because the mayor is nothing more than just a figurehead. Shadowrun! <laughs> and there's... Uh, you finally get up to, to 66th floor, and you you hear a discussion about the destruction of Sector 7. There's this scene like, where the... You wait, what, what was it? Like 17 million gil worth of damages? It was a... Which seems, which seems really, really cheap. Yeah. It, and, you know, yeah, I think it's this, this... If I remember correctly, it's this, like, this boardroom with the president and... and uh, Scarlet and Reno and a couple and, and Heidegger, and, um, Heidegger, yeah. Because every other line out of Heidegger's mouth is, yeah! <laughs> you know, he just has. We that... get it. You're evil. Fuck off. Get us the actual story now, please. Yeah, yeah, you know, just every other line. It's like, okay, you do not have to have to laugh every single time. And you also see the. Um, you also get the introduction of the um, scientists. You see Howard Johnson or Hojo. Mm. And you find that uh, you know, you ultimately, your, your party is ultimately found and you get arrested. And then the game gets Especially hardcore. Then, yeah, at this point, you're like, all right, yeah, we've been found, all right. And then... It gets. It also gets weird, too. That, yeah, then... It's like, oh, there's a trail of blood outside our cells. And... And, oh, look, all the encounters just change from generic soldiers into, like, aboric abominations. Yeah, and, oh, by the way... There's a container that has, was housing the remains of this creature called Genova. And look, somebody broke into the container. Or the container got broken out of. We and don't know. Shrug. Smile. You're just like, oh, god fucking damn it. Now it's Resident Evil in here, too. Yeah, it's like, oh dear. And you, you your party winds up getting split at this point. Well, after you get, um, after the scene where you have Hojo wanting to, Hojo wants to breed Eris and Red, Red 13. 13. Which, 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 for those who aren't aware, Red 13 is a talking red-headed, or a red-skinned and, like, red-haired dog. Wolf-lion thing. Yeah. So, like, uh, I... Hojo, Hojo, you're a scientist. You should know biology doesn't work that way, boy. Yeah. 
Yeah, but biology also doesn't work the way that it works for everything else in that game. So, you know, you can't play by those rules. But it's still like, what are you doing, Hojo? I, I, I think Hojo is meant to be the, the straight up like mad scientist with the with the with with full capitals on mad. Yeah, and scientists oh. with three exclamation points at the end of set the T. Yeah. Yeah, I, I am I, I got my, my plot mixed up. The, the the jail scene occurs after this introductory scene with Hojo. Yeah, I was gonna say I was gonna say, isn't it that I reversed he my He tries to breed yeah, he he, he tries to like quote unquote breed them only Red Thirteen pops out, beats up Hojo, Hojo calls in his abomination. You kill the abomination via boss battle and then you get arrested, and then the blood. Then you get to the blood scene. And then you get to. Um... Yeah, because what happens is, uh, you know, after that boss battle, your your party splits up. You agree to meet at the elevator, and however, at the elevator, you're captured. That's when the Turks come in. You're brought yeah. to the. You're brought to the top floor where President Shinra uh, is just. He's bragging. Yeah. So, so his thing is, he wants to take all the reactor technology and stuff out of Midgar and go to the Promised Land, which is supposed to be full and like overflowing with Mako, and make that into the new paradise and the new Midgar. Yes, and, he actually says they actually say in game that they want to create a Neo Midgar. Yeah, and he just wants to, like. Greedy corporate asshole wants to ruin the planet even more so. Why does this sound familiar? Oh, hey, ExxonMobil. Uh... Um, and then he's going to have all of Avalanche get executed on public television because ratings. Yeah. So you're just and, you know, Square is just really laying it on thick that this guy and this company is absolutely evil. And we get that. <laughs> like, just, just and then, and then they get let off to the prison. Although, if you pay attention to the fading credits, you see that there's someone else in the room. Dun-dun-dun. Mm. Yeah. Then you get the prison scene. Then you find out that, oh, look, the prison doors are suddenly open. And the, the walls are paint, have, a new shade of, have a new shade of blood red paint on it. Oh, no, wait, that's not paint. That's actual blood. Yeah, and then you get to the top floor, and you find that it's more blood, and there is a a long sword sticking out of the back of President Shinra. Like, and when we say long, like, basically take the Buster Sword and like glue, like the length of them twice over on itself. Well, you take the Buster Sword and you just. Stretch it out like a really thin. It's a really freaking thin and long katana. And what's the actual length? Like twelve feet, seventeen maybe. It's it's really really long. You know, it's I I get it, Sephiroth. You're trying to compensate for something, but uh, yeah, yeah. But only one person ever uses this as a weapon. So it's sticking out of the president's back, and again. Umatsu, again, with the music, just really, like, really, you know, we're trying to ramp up the creep factor. And at this point in the game, you go from, you know, 
action drama to body horror almost. It's like, uh? <laughs> and then you get you are introduced to the president's son, Rufus Shinra, who was vice president, who is now who is now president. Which it's just like, like, wait a minute, you actually have a line of succession? This is a monarchy. <laughs> so, well, it- and also, this is also when, like, Rufus, uh, Rufus is his name, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Like. And he, like Rufus literally flies up onto the helipad, says, "Oh, I got a notification that my dad said. I guess that means I'm the president now. Fantastic! Wait, who are all you assholes?" And then you get the literal like through the line introduction, and it's just like it's only now that you realize, "Oh my god, this isn't Shadowrun. It's fucking D and D." And you find out that Rufus is just this this. Totally corrupt, reprehensible asshole. No, he's just an asshole. He wants to rule through fear instead of greed and power. It's, you know, he's not trying to... It's a different sort of slimy. Yeah, he's just an asshole compared to corporate slime. Yes. So there's a bit of a battle, and then we get to your uh, road road rash part of the game. You mean Mad Max? Where everyone just fucking books it on a motorcycle. Yeah, before before we leave um, the Shinra uh, building, though, at, it, at this point in the game, I thought it was... This was sort of where I really was like, oh, man, there's something deeper here. Because, you know, the whole time so far, you're mostly just being led along the lines, oh, you know... Eco-terrorism versus Shinra. Shinra's a big evil in this game, and then all of a sudden, you know, you're arrested by these bad people, but then a third party comes in and wipes the floor with them. Literally, and, there's trails of blood everywhere. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, um, and so it's like, okay, so this character is bad, but he just killed the bad people, so I'm conflicted now. What do I feel about this character? Who is this character? I think that was perhaps part of what made, you know, I mean, the whole game's badass, but just as a as a starter point for Sephiroth to really like be implied or or introduced, he's given both like a positive thing and a very negative terrifying, grotesque um, attribute all at the same time, and so there's like, you know, there's a whole community of people who love Sephiroth, and they're, you know, fan fangirls and fanboys of Sephiroth, and he's a badass, right? Even though he's this insane, you know, main evil character in, in the story, but I think it's partly the fact that your first real exposure to him Yes. is when he wipes the shit out of all the bad guys and sets you free. You know, it's just a very... For any other time that I'll uh, knock Final Fantasy VII a little bit here and there, I think that's a pretty spectacular move on their part in terms of revealing Sephiroth or implying Sephiroth. For, for narrative structure, I would have to agree with you because it, it, it is at this point where the, the game's plot just ratcheted itself up another level 
it's like, oh, now we're no, no longer, you know, fighting this corporate evil. Now, this is where, you know, Sephiroth gets name-dropped, and you're like, who the hell is... What is this character? Because you don't know what he looks like at this point. You just have a name. It's yeah, like, and and that's more powerful, too. That makes him such an imposing figure for him to have just shown up when you weren't even, you know, shown up off camera and all you see is his sword, you know, sticking through uh, President Shinra. Yeah. Mind you, the only person that knows it, Sephiroth, is um, is resident, resident dummy Cloud, because he's the only one who's actually met Sephiroth. Well, I'm sorry, that's not true. Cloud's the only one that admits to have met Sephiroth. Tifa doesn't want to because of horrible, painful memories. And Aerith knew Zack, so I think at some point in the prequels, she had met him also. But, you know, we're not met, we're not talking about the prequels right now. Yeah. No. So we get this, this, this figure named Sephiroth who has basically just made your escape that much easier. Mm-hmm. Um, and to, to 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 go back to your motorcycle point, um, Cloud's the only one on the uh, Cloud is the only one on the motorcycle. Everyone else is hanging out the back of a truck, except for a dinky ass truck. I might yeah. add, it's 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 a tripod in reverse, or I'm sorry, a tricycle in reverse, where there's two wheels in the front for steering, and there's only one back wheel for ah. like everything else. It's like it's like the car that Mr. Bean kept wanting to ride off the road. Makes, yeah. makes an appearance in this game. And um, it was... Okay, someone will need to check the cutscene for this. I don't remember. I think Tifa was driving and Eris was next to her and then in the back was Barrett and Red 13. And by the back, I mean they were literally on the truck bed. Yeah. So yeah. now it's like, oh, this is no longer an RPG. Now you play this mini game where you have to... Now you're playing Mad Max. Where you're fighting off the Shin- the Shinra soldiers that are left. That are, you know, trying to stop your escape, but, you know, you escape. With a boss battle. With a boss battle at the end of it, because, of course. And... Because you already just went through a whole lot of hell, so why not? It's like, oh crap, the road has come to an end. Uh, <laughs> yeah, apparently they didn't finish construction of this bridge entirely. Yeah, that's uh, the, the budget ran out. So you fight this boss, and then here you are, sitting on the outskirts of Midgar. Now, for me, playing this for the first time, I had already sunk like six, seven hours into this game. And it was kind of like... It felt like I was waiting for the credits at this point. Like, all right. Yeah. You know, whereas I'm waiting for a sequel and I'm just like not knowing. It's like there's two more discs here. But, you know, what? Because we just spent all this time in Edgar, but now you leave and now you're on the world map for the first time. We finished season one. Now we have to start season two. Oh my gosh, could you imagine if this was released as a television show? I 
that, why do you think I made that joke? Well, yeah. Why do you think I made that joke? Yeah. I, I, I just mean, like, can you imagine how long it would have been, is what I really meant. Oh, this would have, this would have been, like, this would have been, like, seven seasons with, like, three prequel TV movies. Yeah. It's like what anime does. It's like you have the, the actual series itself and then all of the different movies that will either come before it or after it. So yeah. We finally get out of Midgar and onto the world map, and I think because we've been going on for almost an hour and a half, we will take a break. So when we come back on the second half, we'll continue going through the game and making fun of it here or there. And you'll have some music. We'll, 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 we'll probably be faster because this is when the story picks up, actually. Yeah, after after you leave Midgar, then, the, then it's like, all right, now we're open. The groundwork has been laid. Let's go. So you'll have some music. Uh, we'll fight some, some enemies and level up our material a little bit. Random encounters. Yep, we'll, we'll do some I'll, of that. I'll go, I'll go kill Midgar Zolom. Yep, go do that. <laughs> and uh, just don't kill yourself. Uh, or don't kill Eris yet. So that'll be on the second half. You're listening to the 20th anniversary of Final Fantasy VII. We'll be back. <laughs> 